Welcome to The Lawyerist Podcast, a series of conversations about law practice. Each week, we talk with legal entrepreneurs and innovators about building a successful law practice in today's challenging and constantly changing legal market. And now, here are your hosts. Hi, I'm Sam Glover. And I'm Aaron Street, and this is episode 208 of the Lawyerist podcast, part of the Legal Talk Network. Today, we're talking with our own Stephanie Everett about hard topics to ask yourself when you're struggling with money, focus, or time. Today's podcast is brought to you by Podium, Gusto, and Case Text. We wouldn't be able to do the show without their support. Stay tuned. We'll tell you more about them later on. So it seems apropos that since Stephanie, our community director, is our guest today, that we'll chit-chat a little bit about some of the cool things she's working on. Our fourth cohort of Lawyerist Lab program launches in February, which means the application deadline for Lab is January 25th at the end of this week. Yeah. Um, you can apply and learn more at lawyerist.com com slash lab as though you haven't learned enough by listening <laughs> to this podcast for the last number of months as it is. Yeah, if we haven't beat it into your consciousness yet, go and take the scorecard. It's probably one of the best ways to figure out if lab is a good fit for you. If you take the scorecard and the questions resonate with you or you don't understand any of them, but you want to investigate lab, that's probably the best way to learn how to do better on the scorecard. Totally. And related to that, in episode 205, at the beginning of the year, we had Mike Michalowicz on the show talking about a number of his business books, but primarily his Profit First methodology. And Profit First is the insider book club of the month. So if you're a member of our Lawyerist Insiders Facebook group, we're chit-chatting about Profit First and his financial framework for running your firm. And then he will also be the expert workshop host this month for or members of lab. And I guess I can say if you get into lab in the next week, you could probably get an invite to that workshop even before your thing kicks off. I, I would guess. I think that is probably something we could work uh, out. Otherwise, yeah. we do record those and you would for sure then have access to the recording of the workshop. But it's a really great opportunity to get some face time with one of the leading thinkers on how entrepreneurs should structure the finances of their businesses and some really valuable takeaways there to answer your questions. Yeah, I guess if people don't know that, so one of the the things we do for our lab members is when we get someone on the podcast, especially if they're a book author, we try to bring them in for a workshop in lab too. So if I didn't ask all the questions you want, or if you want some one-on-one -on -one time to ask questions or get some brief coaching from some of our guests, joining lab is a great way to get that opportunity. Every month. So now we've got a brief sponsored conversation with Jake Heller from Case Text, and then my conversation with Stephanie. Hey, I am Jake Heller, the co-founder and CEO of Casetext. Casetext is a legal research website that uses artificial intelligence to help you research faster, more affordably, and more efficiently than you likely are right now. And what we're talking about today is about artificial intelligence. Oh, I love talking about AI and robots. Oh, yeah. So, Jake, tell us about the robots that are coming for our jobs. Well, I mean, that's the thing, right? So artificial intelligence, I think, is, is greatly misunderstood. And ever since we started working on artificial intelligence, we've been getting so many questions from lawyers that I think demonstrates there's a lot of confusion. And so it's just confusion not. Number point number one, yeah, confusion <laughs> point number one is there are no robots coming for your job, at least not probably in our lifetimes. 
And the, the reality is that most aspects of legal practice require a uniquely human intellect, you know, judgment about what to do or not to do. What is, you know, going to be persuasive in a brief developing clients, you know, robots are going to go golfing with the clients for us, right? Um, all of these things are ultimately human tasks. Yeah. So, so the question is really like, what is artificial intelligence actually? And what, it, what can it even really do for my practice if it's not going to completely replace everything, right? Yeah. Do you have some good examples? Like bring us back from the sci-fi, you know, all powerful super AIs and talk about how it's actually operating to benefit people and lawyers now. Totally. So at a high level, what artificial intelligence even is, and that, that will help explain what it can do for you. What it is, is simply a mechanical technology process that emulates one piece of human intelligence, yeah. right? So for example, being able to understand voice and language is one great example of artificial intelligence or being able to pick up a pattern from a bunch of data is another great example of artificial intelligence. Or what Kara does, uh, Case Text AI, which is read a brief for you and help you understand the patterns of legal issues in the brief, right? Yeah, that's exactly right. So one of our, so a few examples of this, one of our technologies, Kara, is a technology where you literally just drag and drop in a brief or complaint and it will come back to you very quickly with research ideas about what you need to be researching next. It is using both the piece of human intelligence that is understanding language and also looking for patterns, for example, the patterns in your citations to see, you know, and what other people have cited to see what you should cite to next. Yeah. And the other examples might include e-discovery where it might suggest, you know, the next document to review being more relevant than the last, um, reviewing contracts and seeing what's kind of sticks out. Um, and other aspects of legal research are all impacted by these aspects of artificial intelligence. And it's making a real impact in a lot of people's practices today. So besides the sci-fi is going to take over all of our jobs, it actually might be helping you already today doing one of these things you may not even know it's artificial intelligence. So Jake, you're trying to sell artificial intelligence, so that's why you're excited about it. I'm excited about artificial intelligence because the possibilities to make the world a better place are amazing. What do you say to lawyers who are like, yeah, things are going fine right now. I like my law library. I like my old school legal research solution. Why try new things? I don't want to change. I think that at the end of the day, the real reason to change is that it will make you a better practitioner. Yeah. And that's because what the machine is doing sometimes are things that a person or even group of people cannot do that effectively. So, for example, it might help you unsurface precedent that you may have otherwise missed while doing legal research. It may help you unsurface a key document in e-discovery you would otherwise totally miss, right? Yeah. And by the way, it's doing all of this and it may help you do this way faster. So instead of, for example, charging by the hour, if you have clients who, who care about this kind of stuff, you can say, I know for a fact that with AI, my research will only take me two hours instead of 10. And as a result, I can change the way that I interact with my clients. Right. So, you know, whether it be being more efficient, finding things you would otherwise miss or pricing more predictably, it can put you in a position to be an all around better practitioner. And I think for that reason, it's worth checking out. Well, and I guess like fundamentally, if you aren't trying to improve the legal service that you give your clients, if you're not trying to improve your practice of law or the practice of law, if you're not trying to make the world a better place in those small ways, then what is your goal as a person who runs a business and a law practice? And so yeah, I, think, I think it's right. I think it's right. I mean, yeah. hopefully why try new things? The answer should be because you can make 
things better. And yes. that should be enough, I hope. Yes, I hope so too. I hope <laughs> so too. If you'd like to learn more about case text and making the world a better place through artificial intelligence in at least one small way that could have a big impact on your practice and your client service, go to casetext.com slash lawyerist. You can get a 14-day free trial and see how case text and Kara work. And exclusive for our listeners, you can get 15% off once again by visiting casetext.com slash lawyerist. Thanks so much, Jake. Thank you. Great to be with you. Hey everyone, I'm Stephanie Everett and I won the professional lottery because I work as the community director for Lawyerist, which means that I help solos and small firms build amazing client-centered firms. You won the professional lottery. I love that. <laughs> I thought you might. I do. Well, welcome back, Stephanie. Thank you. Glad to be back. So a couple weeks ago, we had our annual company retreat in beautiful Chaska, Minnesota. <laughs> And you and I stayed up late trying to figure out how to talk about something that we see more and more in law practice. And maybe you could kind of describe that. Yeah, I think we just see a lot of attorneys struggling, um, struggling with their business, struggling with their firm and with their practice and with money. And like and, with direction too. Yeah, and right? that's what I was going to say. And I think a piece of that is even struggling where they should go and they kind of get sidetracked on all these things that I know we're going to get into. And then it's like, okay, what are we trying to do here? Yeah, it's this idea that, you know, people, and it's something that we see a lot with people in our community who are starting to figure things out about their practices, about where they want it to go, and they're working on vision or they're implementing technology. Um, and then everybody starts asking them about it. And pretty soon they're giving a lot of presentations on technology. And we've just been struggling with how do we talk to them about the question of focus? Like, what should they be focused on? How should you be thinking about side gigs? And we realize that these two things are almost the same conversation. So we said, let's tackle some hard questions. <laughs> yeah. So we put together a first stab at hard questions that we think lawyers ought to ask themselves when you're unsure about profitability or just keeping the lights on uh, when you're trying to figure out how to get your time back or you're trying to figure out what to focus on. I, I don't know. Where do you want to start, Stephanie? Which of these questions is number one, do you think? Mm, great question. It's my hard question for you. I know. <laughs> and you know, it's funny because I always struggle with lab in the order of how we should do things. Like right. I spend a crazy amount of time because I'm like, what's going to make sense to lawyers and how we approach it? And it's funny because where we start lab is with strategic planning. It's with goal setting and vision. And what I'm finding is this is where attorneys get stuck because they're trying because we're attorneys and we want to have everything perfect. Mm -hmm. And they're like, ah, I need the perfect vision. I need to figure this all out right now. Yeah. And then it's almost like they can't get through to the next thing because they're stuck on vision. How do you talk to them about that? Because I, I totally get that. We, You start out with the biggest question, and how do you help people answer that question so that you can move on to week two? I know. This is, yes. <laughs> exactly. So what I tell them is a couple of things. Number one, that you probably have some ideas. And I've also recently shifted my thoughts and how we have to communicate our vision about mm -hmm. our firm. So there's a lot of schools, you know, that you can get out there and read a lot of stuff. And it's like, oh, your vision should be this one sentence thing that sums up everything you want to do with your business. Hmm. And it's like, come on, guys, that's kind of unfair, right? Like, <laughs> I can't possibly tell you in a sentence even though I'm all about being an attorney and staying within the you know page limits, everything I want to accomplish with my business, it's just really hard. And what I find is lawyers often end up with the same sentence. It looks something like, 
I want to have the best fill in the blank law firm in right. the fill in the blank area that I practice. Does that feel, is that okay as a starting point or is that not enough? I think it's fine. I think it's the part of the story. I don't think it speaks really to what you want to offer your community or your clients or your team. So I think it's, I think it's a starting point. It's also kind of missing the, like, what do I want? Like, why, what, what is in it for me if I accomplish that? Right. Absolutely. So, you know, I say, get some ideas down and we give them, obviously we give everybody in lab a whole worksheet to work through a whole bunch of questions that help really fill this out and give it some more texture and feeling and, and context. But I also say that this isn't something that's going to maybe come to you in one setting. It might need to sit and marinate with you for a year or two as you have a basic idea. And then you're going to start putting some clarity around that idea. And I know you recently had Jen Longton on and I was just listening to what she said. And, and this has been a real year for her. You know, she's approaching her fifth anniversary of her firm. And she's like, it was just this year that I've sort of now shifted and gotten really clear on what she really wants to do. And she's kind of finding herself going back and redoing a lot of things for her business now that she has that clarity. And I think that's okay. So you don't well, have to have clarity. Every, like every quarter we have our team, our leadership retreat. One of the very first things we do is take another look at our vision statement for lawyerist and tweak it if it needs to be tweaked. So it's not a, it's not a static thing written in stone. Absolutely. Okay. And so we're at, people need to have that clarity of context, right? Like, cause it, what's my vision? What's my big idea? Because it, it hopefully clarifies all the other decisions and all the other hard questions. Yeah, it becomes your guardrails, right? That analogy really helps my husband when I talk about it for him because he's like, oh, this helps me from chasing shiny, shiny things, mm -hmm. which he, he loves to do. <laughs> <laughs> yes, because, you know, if giving talks about a different subject and getting out in the community serves that vision, then great. But if not, then hopefully you at least can check yourself. Right. You jotted down another question on here that I've been thinking about a lot lately, which is, should I even have my own practice? Am I the right person to run a firm or be an owner? Say more about what you were thinking about when you wrote that down. Yeah. So I had an attorney reach out right before the holidays and he was clearly in crisis. You could hear the crisis in his voice. It, you know, it was, it was obvious. And he, he called and he just said, Stephanie, help. I need help. Oh, wow. Yeah. And so, yeah. So we started to unpack that a little bit. And, and ultimately what he ended up telling me is he's like, I, you know, I just want to practice law and I want to do my business development work because I really like that. And I just want to do that. And I don't really want to deal with any of the other stuff. Mm -hmm. I don't, I'm not really sure what he was ultimately calling me for. Because <laughs> you know, I was just like, okay. But, um, but what I did in that moment for him is I kind of sat back and I said, is having your own practice really what's important to you? You know, why do you want to have your own practice? And should you have your own practice? Because having a solo or small firm, he had a couple of folks that worked for him and he had experienced some turnover recently. And so he was like, oh, here it goes again. You know, now I got to go out and hire another person and train them and bring these people on. And you could just tell he was just sort of over it. And so sometimes I think it's OK to sit back and say, if really all I want to do is, is what I call sort of the technical work of being a lawyer and doing the business development, it is absolutely fine to say, I can do that in the context of another person's law firm. Or, but I, I guess it's also an option to hire somebody else to run the firm for you. Fair, true. Um, but I mean, he truly was over it. Like, right. <laughs> because I feel like, he could, well, you know, let me make this point because I think this is a good one too. And, you, you know, a lot of folks will end up saying, okay, I don't want to deal with all this stuff. So let me just hire someone to do all the stuff that I don't want to do. 
And in doing that, they sort of give the keys to their law firm over to someone and I'm okay with doing that, but you still have a part in the running of your business. They should that person should be running the business in uh, in line with your vision and your direction and communication and and you know what I don't like is when I see an attorney basically just hire an office manager who runs the law firm and then you know if that person God forbid something happens to them or they leave mm-hmm. they're really screwed. They have no idea what to do with their firm. They don't know how anything is run. They're just kind of out there. You know, you got to be careful. I guess one of the things that I've been, I'm slow on the uptake uh, about a lot of things sometimes. And uh, and one of those things is my very slow dawning realization that the skills that it takes to run a business are, well, not the same skills that it takes to start one, but even more importantly, not the same skills that it takes to like be a successful leader in a part of that business, right? Like I, if you want to mm-hmm. practice law, there is almost no overlap between solving legal problems for clients and running a law firm. Those are totally different skill sets. And I just don't think most people have really thought through that piece of it. And there has to be a point at which you commit to being a business owner and a business leader, and you accept that you're going to spend more time doing that, or maybe all of your time doing that, and almost none of your time actually serving clients if you really want to run a healthy, successful law firm. Yeah, potentially. That could be the case. Mm-hmm. And I think for me, what's important when I'm working with attorneys is that they recognize that the time they spend, you know, working on their business and doing all those things that the business requires is just as important as billable work. Mm -hmm. Because we, as lawyers, we tend to think in terms of billable, non-billable. And so because working on my business is non-billable, people somehow equate that to not valuable, not important, not worth my time. What we see a lot of is lawyers who start working on their business, start figuring out questions of management and strategy and stuff. And they're like, God, I love this. And you should run a business. Like you should absolutely commit to that. And that should be your thing. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, we're starting to see this in the dental world. So, you know, I think there could be a future when we talk about what's the future of law look like where more firms sort of consolidate and let those folks who are really great at running businesses focus on that. And that doesn't have to be everybody's job. But where does that leave like the tr- the true solo or the true solo plus some help? You know, there, lots of solos say to me they love being able to sort of juggle all of those different things and balance all of those different things. They don't need to be a leader full time. They don't have management responsibilities. Like where does that leave them? I think that they still can be very successful. And, um, you know, I don't think they have to be a leader full time, but I think they do themselves, their business, a great benefit when they carve out some time. Mm-hmm. So is that an hour a week or two hours a week or three hours a week? You know, I don't have a magic answer, but they when those folks that, you know, and I see a lot of solos recognize this and say, okay. I need to carve out some period of time each week to work on my business and, you know, make sure my financials are in order and look at my metrics or implement a new marketing campaign or automate something or, you know, all these things. And they recognize that by doing that, they are allowing themselves to generate future profit. And I think that's kind of the, the key that I'm sort of talking about is turning into our brain that doing what might be considered non-billable work is still valuable and can actually lead to future profitability. Yeah. As long as you're still, as long as you're happy with it, basically. Well, yeah, you got to <laughs> enjoy shape. what you do, I think. 
Um, what's the <laughs> point if not? One of the things that we did when we were putting together a scorecard is we added three questions at the beginning, which are more about personal life and career goals than they are about, you know, business and the health of your firm and things like that. And I want to talk about how those fit in. But first, we have to stop real quick and hear from our sponsors. And then we come back, we're going to talk about where your goals fit into this picture of the direction of your law practice. We'll be right back. Legal research is too expensive, hard to use, and time-consuming. It doesn't have to be. With Case Text, you can save $2,000 and 210 hours on legal research this year. Case Text has unique artificial intelligence technology that does a lot of the research for you. Just drag and drop a complaint or brief, and you'll quickly find cases on the same facts, legal issues, and jurisdiction. Case Text is fast, well-designed, and comprehensive, and it's very affordable. Go to casetext.com slash lawyerist to get case text for $55 a month. Case text is modern legal research trusted by over 3,000 small firms and 40 firms in the AmLaw 200. Go to casetext.com slash lawyerist to get started. If you have a small business or know someone who does, you probably know that small business owners wear a lot of hats, and some of those hats are totally great. But some, like filing taxes and running payroll, for example, are not so great. That's where Gusto comes in. Gusto makes payroll, taxes, and HR easy for small businesses. Fast, simple payroll processing, benefits, and expert HR support all in one place. Gusto automatically pays and files your federal, state, and local taxes so you don't have to worry about it. Plus, they make it easy to add on health benefits and even 401ks for your team. Those old-school, clunky payroll providers just weren't built for the way modern small businesses work. But Gusto is, so let them wear one of your many hats. You have better things to do. Listeners get three months free when they run their first payroll. Try a demo and see for yourself at gusto.com lawyerist. That's gusto.com lawyerist. In business, reputation is everything. And while online reviews can make or break you, your best clients probably aren't showing up. And that's too bad, because if they did, you'd have more clients, more referrals, and be the top-rated law firm in your area. If you're tired of waiting for reviews to trickle in, you have a choice. Either keep waiting or get proactive with Podium. Podium helps you get more reviews on the sites that matter most. Use their messaging platform to give friendly reminders while sending clients straight to the review sites that you care about the most. With Podium's built-in analytics, you can set goals, monitor progress, and incentivize your team to reach out to more clients. Become the number one choice online. Visit podium.com slash lawyerist to save 10% when you start. That's podium.com slash lawyerist to get started and save 10%. Okay, we're back. So Stephanie, you talked about how vision is a stopper. Are goals also something that get people hung up? For sure. Because we asked folks, what do you want to accomplish with your career? You know, what's important to you? What impact do you want to have on your community? And for some folks, they have some ideas and other folks, I think, haven't taken much time to really stop and think about those questions. And so for them, it kind of takes them back a little bit. And then they're like, oh, wow, yeah, maybe I should think about that. I mean, everyone probably has goals for their life. I think a lot of people are thinking mostly about and, and maybe I'm off on this, but I think a lot of people just if I'm making enough money to, you know, buy the things I need, keep the lights on at home send my kids to school um, and take a vacation once in a while, that's pretty much where I'm happy, which seems actually like a really important goal to state and maybe even put a little bit of data around that. What, is, what does it mean to um, work so that I can have a comfortable, satisfactory life? But I think people uh, sometimes don't think that there are any more goals that they need to have in their life than that. I don't know. How do you think about purpose and your life goals and things like that? So, yeah. So, you know, I've been reading some books about this and, and actually some of the podcast guests we've had on recently really have my mind kind of going in this area. I think that, and there's different sort of tools out 
there that you can use to evaluate your personal life and they question different areas, right? So you mentioned finance and that's certainly a piece of it. Relationships and how mm-hmm. you feel about your, your personal relationships, you know, whether that be a, a spouse or a partner or family or friends. Also, you know, your health, that's a piece of what makes, I think, a life worth living is to have a healthy mind and body. Mm -hmm. But then there's also this, and work obviously is a, a piece of that, but then there's also this other category that sometimes we forget about that's play or adventure or hobby. And I'll confess, like, I think you, Sam, do a great job in this area. And it's been one where I'm reevaluating in my life because I don't put a lot of time towards play. Um, mm. <laughs> that, you know, I'll be honest. It's um, possible that I put too much time towards play, but, you know, that's one of my goals. <laughs> yeah, but, it, you know, but when I started sitting down and doing this evaluation and thinking about it and then the other real quickly, the other sort of topics that come up are your community and, you know, what really fulfills you in work and passion and also for some folks, spirituality. And that's Mm -hmm. the case for me for sure. And so when I started looking at my life in this way, which I did, and I realized like I didn't have much play. So it's just small shifts, right? So instead, um, I go out to dinner once a quarter with some close friends from law school. And we usually just go to dinner and I'm all, I'm like, it's always too short. We always run out of time. So this quarter, instead of going to dinner, I was like, Hey, why don't we go do a wine tasting tour and spend the day together? And that's feels playful. That's awesome. <laughs> you know? Yeah. After a couple so, glasses of wine, it's definitely playful. <laughs> right. So I'm just trying to shift and, and, and have us do something. And then I was just talking about this with another lawyer and we were talking about how you could even use this idea with your networking events. And so she has started inviting people instead of just coffee or lunch, like, Hey, come meet me and let's walk through the park together or let's mm-hmm. go rock climbing at the, you know, rock climbing place. And I was like, Oh, that's, those are great ideas. So, um, that got way off on a tangent from personal goals. But- I actually think it's totally on in line. Like, I mean, one of the struggles that I noticed that I have around personal goals at versus work is like work is always important right? It's pressing. And it's really easy to justify, you know, diverting your focus towards work and things like that. And that's why it's so important to have goals that go beyond work goals, because you need to be able to to say this is important too. If wine tours are your thing or travel is your thing or house projects or playing golf or whatever it is, you need to give yourself permission to elevate that to equivalent importance to work because you're more important than your business. Let's be real. (laughs) Absolutely. And the hidden benefit is there's a lot of studies that show us that happier people are more productive. Right. And so you can then, you know, when you give yourself that time to fulfill yourself in in other aspects of your life, it's going to show up in your work too. Yeah, absolutely. The flip side of this though, is another question that you asked is, are you actually giving your business the time and attention and energy it needs? Which sounds a little bit like work-life balance, but is kind of a different question. Yeah. I mean, I I hear that. I didn't think of it in terms of work-life balance. (laughs) I mean, like business personal balance or something. Yeah. Well, I think when I wrote that question, I was really thinking about that idea of the business owner. And it's so easy to just get totally focused on client work, which is understandable. Mm-hmm. And, I, and so like, here's a common gripe that I hear from lawyers, right? Like, oh, 
I hired this. I, I'm sick of hiring people. It never works out. They, you know, and there, there's a lot of gripes around hiring and staffing. Mm-hmm. But then when I start at, talking to those folks and I say, okay, well, what kind of hiring process do you have? And have you done research and learned how to ask the right interview questions to get the right people? There's a whole art to interviewing and hiring. You know, we do a whole section on it in lab that I love because you know, I've really dug in and done a lot of research on this lately, and I've seen how just changing how you interview someone can make a huge impact and help you find the right person. And then obviously the, you know, the next stage of that is then onboarding and training them. And are you actually putting time into training them and helping them understand what your expectations are and how you want things done? Because unfortunately, a lot of attorneys out there, not everyone, you know, but we've all seen this happen where someone comes to the firm and it's like, here's your desk, here's your computer, you know, get to Mm -hmm. work. And then they're unhappy and they're griping because these folks aren't working out for them and they have high turnover and they're frustrated. And I'm like, I, I, I appreciate that. I understand all the frustration. But did you put the time? And so this is where the question kind of came from. Gotcha. You know, did you put the time and energy into creating a hiring process that would get you the right candidates and then a training process that would make sure once they came on board, they would be successful? And unfortunately, I, I think for a lot of folks, the answer turns out to be, oh, you're right. You know what? I really didn't put much time and effort into that. I didn't. I just found someone or saw someone was looking and you know hired them and hoped for the best. It's a really good point. I mean, I think there's just as much about that question of like, you know, focus, are you working on your business? People used to ask me about, because I think this plays into the side gig thing. I brought it up as people who are sometimes distracted by other things. But it happens at the beginning, and too, a lot of people starting their firms are starting their firm as a side gig. And I used to get asked that question a whole lot, which is like, well, you know, I don't want to lose my skills, so I'm going to start my own practice, but I have a day job that pays part of my bills. Can I really meaningfully do that? And my answer is always like, sure, but don't half-ass it. Like, don't treat it as an afterthought. You have to full-ass it in the time that you have to commit to your firm. Full-assing, I'm not sure, is a thing, but no, but <laughs> I'm, I'm making it one. <laughs> it's fine. <laughs> yeah, and I think you and I talked about this that night at the retreat, you know, mm-hmm. for me... There was a time when I was transitioning with my career and just trying to make it work. And I found myself with like, I don't know, I think I can't, I lost count of how many jobs I had at any given time because I was just trying to scramble and make, make it all work. I had a lot of things going on. And even when I got it down to two things, it was still so hard. It's just, mm-hmm. I, I, I personally, for me, it was really hard to focus and just give it my all to two things, you know, equally or independently, or, you know, so I'm sure that there are people out there who are doing it and thriving in it. And for me, I just remembered how hard it was. Totally. One of the struggles there is if you're paying attention to one of your gigs, it's attention that you can't pay to the other one of your gigs. And so if you're investing money, or you're investing time and attention and effort into your side gig, and it's not paying off yet, you have to ask yourself, like, would that time and attention be better invested in my firm where I know I can make money if I just give it the time and attention that it deserves, I guess. Yeah. And I think it comes back to the very first question you asked is, 
is the side gig and what I'm doing with that in line ultimately with my vision for my business? You know, what am I trying to create? And and if you're having fun doing it and you want to spend a little time over there doing it, then great. But be just be aware and be intentional. There are definitely complimentary side gigs like the I just did a podcast with Natalie Warsfold of CounterTax up in Canada. And as part of building out their procedures on analyzing cases and making better decisions, they wound up building their own internal software product, which eventually got cool and complicated enough that Natalie became the product manager for that product and the firm decided to develop it as a separate product. And so I think that's a really good example. Who knows if it'll succeed yet? They're not there yet, but they're about to put it on the market. And it's like, that's the kind of a side gig that is complimentary and makes a lot of sense where you're not really detracting your attention. But there is that point at which you have to decide, like, is this something that we think is going to be valuable enough, both to us and in the marketplace, that it's worth distracting ourselves? And they ultimately decided yes. But I think you can equally decide, you know what, I'm not a software developer. I need to use what's out there and figure out how to get the most out of it because my business is about serving clients and that's where I can get the most value. Uh, it reminds me of like my uncle who's uh, a dentist and he's been very successful over his career. And, you know, he, he talks to me about money because he's like my second dad. <laughs> but, but he's like, you know, people are always asking me to invest in real estate or businesses. And he's like, look, I'm a dentist. Like, I know how to do dentistry. I know how to make money as a dentist. I don't know real estate. And he's like, you know, I'm, I'm smart enough. I could probably figure it out. But the time I spend learning real estate and making the mistakes that I'm inevitably going to make instead, like I'm at the top of my career as a dentist. Why don't I focus on that? Because I know I can make my money there. And that makes a ton of sense to me. And that I've really carried that around with me for a long time. There's a lot of value in focusing on things you're good at. Yeah. And that's great. And sometimes it helps to have that outside help for you. So if you're listening to this and kind of wondering, I mean, I, I always mention my husband and he, cause he likes to chase shiny things, <laughs> but you know, when he comes home and we talk about it, I'm that mirror that says, wait a minute, let's go back to your vision statement. Is this, you know, is selling coconut water a part of, and he has a beer distribution business. So that happened, you know, but is that part of the vision for the company? You know, mm -hmm. where are we going with this thing? And I, so I think lawyers would really benefit from having those close connections and having relationships with, with other business owners who can say, wait a minute, you know, is this really where you want to go with this? What's the opportunity here? Because sometimes it helps you to talk that out. And, you know, we do that on our, on the lawyers team. When we get together each quarter, we have all kinds of ideas. And I know you, you will <laughs> laugh at, you know. Yes. Like we Sam, like we'll, we'll get going and we'll be like, Oh my gosh, this is great. And we, we go and then somebody on the team inevitably probably Aaron is like, <laughs> all right, <laughs> let's, let's slow down for a minute and let's look at our vision. And how is this, where does this fit in? And well, that's, we make time for that because ideas oh, are yeah. so important, but we also always make time to say, how does this fit into what we're trying to accomplish? Yeah, exactly. Right. And so if you're a solo and you don't have someone on your team that can be that person for you, you know, find it because I think it's so valuable. And, and we know from other businesses, other industries that that's pretty common in the business world, right? Like business leaders get together with each other all the time and help each other out in that way. So, so, uh, next question, are you investing enough in yourself? Say more about what you're thinking on that. Yeah. So this is something I've been thinking about probably for the last quarter, since I read a book by Brendan Burchard, where he really challenged us and said, you know, true leaders and high performance folks are always intentionally getting themselves better. 
you know, they're taking a class, they're working on something. And it, it could be related to skills that you need directly in your job. So if you're managing a team and you realize you need help in your management skills, you know, are you working on getting better as a manager? Mm -hmm. But then it also could be something unrelated. Like he mentioned taking guitar lessons, you know, doing music class, which when you exercise that part of your brain, I don't have the science there, but apparently that also can help, you know, <laughs> other other pieces of makes, your brain. It also work. just makes you a more well-rounded and interesting person. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. And so, yeah, so he really challenged as I was working through this program. I was like, okay, like, I love that. And what are we doing? Because I think in, when we're early in our career, everyone's for the most part really focused on becoming a better lawyer. You know, you're working on your trial skills and how to take a deposition or how to improve your negotiation skills. But then you sort of move past that and you perfect those or, or, you know, you get better in those and you don't put as much time and energy there. But your skill set probably needs to change too, because now as you're a senior associate or junior partner, you're starting to manage other people and have teams and have other different types of responsibilities. And it occurred to me that for a lot of folks, as we move up the ranks, we don't necessarily keep up. I mean, we, yes, we have CLEs. I'm not considering that. <laughs> you know, like, are we really being intentional in improving those new skills that we need to be honing to be successful? So at last year's Clio Cloud Conference, Chris Hadfield, the Canadian astronaut, was a guest. And he framed his talk around that idea about who do I need to be in order to accomplish this great thing. And so like his example was like, you know, he, he puts up a picture of himself in a cardboard box decorated like a rocket ship um, as a kid, which a lot of us have that picture. Um, but then his next frame is him actually driving a rocket ship right. <laughs> into space cool. um, with a really great sound system, which was just like, dear God, that was one of the coolest things I've ever seen. Um, and he's like, that's me. I'm driving that thing, which is amazing. But then he backs up and he says, like, here's the thing, like, think about when the Apollo moon landing and literally nobody in the world is qualified to do that, right? Nobody on the planet possesses the skill set necessary to land a thing on the moon. Nobody has that vehicle. Nobody's ever flown a rocket out of the out of the atmosphere. And so you have to say, like, who do I need to be in order to accomplish that? What does my team need to look like? What does my company need to look like? In order to accomplish that big, hairy goal, who do I need to make myself into? And that's education. It's um, physical training, maybe. It's whatever it is. And I, I think that's what you're getting at is like, you know, who do I need to be in order to be the best personal injury lawyer in Tallahassee or whatever it is that you want to accomplish in your life or in your business, right? Yeah, I love that. One of the questions that we started asking in this exercise was who needs me to show up right now and who do they need me to be? Mm -hmm. And that really helps frame it for me because I like thinking about teams. And now I do do that exercise you know, like who does Sam need me to be right now in this podcast recording? <laughs> Yourself. <laughs> yes. But you know, I want to bring my energetic self. I, I don't want to be, you know, falling asleep and putting people to sleep. You know? Well, and if, and if you, the perspective you're taking on it is who do my clients need me to be? That is the very definition of client-centered law practice that we're always trying to get across to people. Yeah. So, you know, I just wanted to encourage everyone, like it's the beginning of the year as we're recording this. And, you know, I like beginnings because I'm like <laughs> you, I feel like it's like the first day of school, but it's just the first day, you know, first of the year. And so maybe challenge yourself. Like, is there a skill or something that you could do, you know, in the next quarter that you really want to go and get intentional about improving for yourself 
And I hope you do. And if you do, please, you know, connect with me and let me know because I can't wait to hear all the things our For sure. folks are going to go out there and do. So let me go back over the questions before we try and wrap it up into uh, a conclusion here. If you find yourself struggling, spinning your wheels, not getting what you want out of your business, your life, whatever, and that's the perspective you come to this, um, you're worried if you're distracted, whatever. Here are some of the questions we think you should be asking yourself. What's your vision for your law firm? And are you serving that vision in what you're trying to do? Maybe even back up and say, should I even have my own practice or should I be in charge of my own practice? Ask how close is your firm to getting you to your personal goals in a way that aligns with your values? Are you getting meaning out of what you do? Are you giving your business the time and attention and energy it needs? And are you doing the same for yourself? Are you investing in yourself and becoming the person your clients and your business need you to be? And then all of those, I think, feed into the first question or three on the scorecard which is what do you want to get out of your firm and your career and what impact, if any, do you want your work to have in the world, right? Yeah. Which um, I guess is a great place for me to say, like if anything that we've talked about today kind of speaks to you about um, clarifying what your business needs to be or what you need to be in your business, like if you haven't taken the scorecard already, like it's a preliminary step and it's free and it takes 10 minutes, which you can absolutely find in your week. Right. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Stephanie, thanks so much for talking through this today. I know you're giving this talk in Atlanta. What tomorrow? Yeah. Yeah. Well, which will be a week or two ago after this podcast airs, but uh, it's something, it, it's sort of one of the frames that I think we want to start using to talk about, help lawyers understand, you know, why we're talking about the future of law practice and the context in which we're doing that. So I look forward to seeing how that goes. Thanks for being here. Absolutely. Thanks, Sam. sure to catch next week's episode of the lawyerist podcast by subscribing to the show in your favorite podcast app and please leave a rating to help other people find our show you can find the notes for today's episode on lawyerist.com slash podcast lawyerist podcast is produced with help from Lindsay calhoun and edited by paul fisher the views expressed by the participants are their own and are not endorsed by legal talk network nothing said in this podcast is legal advice for you 